So this time of year, that is Advent slash Christmas slash the holidays um, and many other iterations that I think we could tack on the end of that. This is kind of collectively this time where um, remembering and reflecting, and if you're in church or faith communities, there's this intentional um, longing that we're trying to cultivate. We're, we're trying to cultivate this longing for Jesus. And so, you know, you... you um, see these little slogans like keep the Christ in Christmas or something like that. And however cheesy you find those or don't find those, there's something there of, of like, let's keep the, the Christ. But do we, do we know that Christ is like a word, an un, it's a transliteration. It's literally just taking from the Greek into English, what is this word Messiah? There's, this might be a common word, but just go ahead and say this with me, Messiah. Okay, so Messiah, this is actually the, the longing that the church is cultivating is for the one who will release us to our bondage to slavery. Now that is a different type of Christmas story than uh, baby Jesus in a nativity scene and that kind of thing. And this, is, this I think, means um, that we get to receive that different type of story. But that can feel a bit uncomfortable, and it means like, hold on, have I been sold a bill of goods that was actually false in the past, and what do I, what do, I do, or is this a new type of Christmas? No. This is, I think, just us looking back so that we could situate ourselves in the present and with a hope of the future. Does this make sense? So this is what we're doing in this season. We're actually looking back so we can be situated here, present to God, present to one another, so we might have a secure hope. And the, the beauty of the Christmas story is it's this future and past hope that's invading our present. And so we choose to remember this. We choose to enter into this reality. And... Um, and I'm not trying to skirt past that. I just want us to kind of get there through the side door today, uh, through, through Easter. How does that sound? So a little Easter during Christmas. Are we okay with this? I mean, I, this is the message I prepared, so we're, we're going to have like another option, I guess. Um, so this is, yeah, we're just, we're basically taking the church calendar, putting it into a blender, and this is what we have today. If that's funny to you, it's because you grew up in a church with liturgies and stuff like that. If not, just stay with me. I said that to Jessica last night and she just gave me this look of like, church calendar and a blender, I, that's not funny. So anyways, Advent and Easter actually are pretty similar. Um, if we take a moment and we just think about Advent and Easter, they, they both are seasons that drum up expectation. We're, we're hopeful and yet there's some nuance between the two. You see, in, in one, that is the season of Advent, where we're at right now, we wait to behold Jesus. And in the other season, that is Easter, we behold Jesus, that is the resurrected Jesus, so we might wait well with joy. So in one, we wait to behold, and the other, we behold to wait. And so there's this similar, it's almost like opposite sides to the same coin, this Advent and Easter. And in all of it, there is this, um, there's this expectation. It, this is how the, the prophet Isaiah, I think, gets at it. This is Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On, on those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. 
Now, for, for context, this Isaiah is a prophet who's kind of like this covenant watchdog. In other words, um, the, the prophets are there speaking to the people of God on behalf of the creator God so that they might walk with fidelity to their creator. That is, so they might walk and live a life in keeping with who they are. So they might actually live into who they are. And so Isaiah comes along and he's talking, you are the people walking in darkness. And then in a couple verses later, this is the famous Christmas verse. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness for that time on and forever. And now there's a ton in here that for the Bible nerds among us, this like you could just spend years in this passage, all the titles and the expectation. But for us, Isaiah's speech, this prophetic speech, can feel kind of odd. And maybe even for some, it's like emotionally agitating. You hear the language of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And those are like, they're, they're substance lists. They, they actually have no resonance. Um, but I actually think that they speak to these core longings that we carry in our inner woman, in our inner man. Just think about those titles for a moment. Wonderful counselor. If you think about uh, someone who's practicing law, they'll be uh, referred to as a counselor. So they're mediating. And this coming one, the, the Prince of Peace that we'll see in a moment, is going to do this wonderfully. He's going to do this in a way that brings awe and hope to the people with whom he's mediating. And then you see Mighty God, this idea of, of not just victory and valor, but weightiness, everlasting father. And like, I know if, even in my experience, like I read the language of father and I have woundedness there. And so just think about this longing for parental love, just to, to belong and to be accepted and to be known and cared for. And the Prince of Peace, I mean, in 2021, I don't know who doesn't want like peace, but as we'll see in a moment, we may mean something a little bit different. My, my point is, is this, is that when Isaiah's speaking this, it's kind of, this is this kind of Advent and Easter mashup, this expectation and longing for something more. This something, we would say maybe we want something new, but what we see here is this new thing we may want is actually an old thing, and it's what the prophet calls peace. And this is what we're turning our attention to today. And we're going to try at least to get through this peace, the, the peace that Advent talks about through the side door of Easter. And to do this, we simply need to remember the whole story. And so we're going to, if you'll let me, we're going to do this little flyover of the whole Bible. How's that sound? Good. This is like most weeks. We just turn back to Genesis 1. We talk about what's going on and then resituate ourselves because this is our story. We get to receive this and live out of it with Jesus as the one who shows us the way forward. So that's where we're heading, Advent via Easter because the light has dawned and the darkness will not overcome it. And in fact, what, what the prophet says is that this light is establishing justice forever. And so let's, uh, let's just remember it here. I don't, I don't know if, if you knew this, or, um, but Easter is an epic story. 
Um, I, I like to think of Easter as this punch in the face to the cosmic powers. And stay with me here. If you're a teenager, this is your time to listen. Um, this is Easter is a punch in the face to the cosmic powers of sin, Satan, and death itself. And Easter is more punk rock than we even know. Um, because it's not like pastel and bunnies, although I'm fine with that color palette and bunnies are great. Um, it's, it's just that there's something more intense happening here. Because on Easter, Jesus of Nazareth who, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert if you don't know the Easter story, but uh, on, on Easter, Jesus of Nazareth was mocked, he was beaten, he was hung on a Roman execution rack, which is one of the, the worst forms of torture in the ancient world, and I would dare say today. Uh, and there, Jesus was hung to die, and indeed he did die, but Jesus didn't stay dead. And this is the great and enduring claim that practicing Christians the world over make is that the grave was not powerful enough to hold Jesus there. But in the power of God, the grave was overcome. And in that moment, sin and the enemy of our souls, the Satan and death itself were overcome. And what that means is that for where Jesus is then, the resurrected Jesus, there's new life breaking out. This is an epic story. This is like the Easter story is the bedrock in some sense of, of our life with Jesus. And so we can't talk about building this expectation, anticipating the coming of the Messiah if we don't actually know where this is all heading. And by the way, Christmas is weird because we're like, baby Jesus is coming and he's gonna be the Prince of Peace. And it's like, well, what is the end of it? The, the end of it is justice established forever. And how is justice established forever in God's economy? Death is killed. This is, a, this is an epic story. But you might go, okay, like I, hear, I see you're getting excited and that's your personality, Kyle. But um, how, how is this the case? Well, uh, in the wake of Jesus's resurrection, he does this remarkable thing. He goes and he has a meal with his friends. And then you say, that doesn't sound very remarkable. If, if I were Jesus, I'd probably go to Caesar. And I'd say, oh, so you're, you're the Lord? You're the son of God? Hi, I'm alive from the dead. Your cross? Yeah, it has no claim on me. Or maybe you would be like, well, um, I, I would go to the Greeks like Paul does later on. And I'd go to the Areopagus. I'd go to Mars Hill and I would debate them and say, oh, you like to talk about the logos. Here I am in the flesh. If you're a nerd and that's your thing, you're like, yes, that's what I would do too. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't stand with force. He doesn't tear people down with his words. Instead, he goes and he shares a meal with his friends. And this is, this is um, why, in, in my opinion, this story is so epic because it shows us, in some sense, what it means to be human, what it looks like for justice, the, the right side upping of the world to be established. And we're actually, we see this. If you want, you can flip or tap your way on over to Luke chapter 24. Uh, this is a, a scene right after the resurrection. This is a, a famous kind of Easter day passage where Jesus comes to two disciples heading to Emmaus. And so there's Jesus on the road. The disciples, the irony is that they don't recognize Jesus until this moment where they, they persuade this traveler to, to share a meal with them. And this traveler gives thanks and breaks the bread. And in that moment, they realize 
This is, this is our Messiah. This is Jesus. And so there we read about this, this experience that they have right after that moment. They freak out and they go back to where they just came from, Jerusalem. And this is, this is it. Luke 24, 33 to 39. They got up, that is, those who were freaking out because they just, the risen Messiah was with them, and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, referring to the disciples, and those with them, assembled together and saying, It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. That is, um, all of the scriptures were unfolded to them to show how the Messiah must um, be persecuted, be given over to death, die, and then be raised on the third day. So then they share all like epic Bible study. And there they are, they're sharing all this happened and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Verse 36, when they were still talking about this, Jesus, as he does, uh, just stood among them and said to them, Shalom, peace, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. That's the appropriate response when Jesus shows up and just says, hi, peace. Uh, they, thinking they saw a ghost and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And there's some comedic aspect to this. I just, I mean, and maybe that's not the tone that Luke has here because I just picture Jesus being like, hey guys, what's up? Um, but I, they're apparently startled and frightened. So maybe that's not the tone. I'm misreading it. Uh, but, but that aside, what is the first thing that Jesus says in the wake of his resurrection in the collection of his followers? It's, it's right there. He, he says, peace be with you. Shalom. In another gospel account, John's biography of Jesus' life and ministry, you can flip over there if you want. It's the next one over to the right, uh, John chapter 20. But we read a similar experience of, of the resurrection. So in John 20, 19 to 20, we read this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, and catch this, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And what's he say? Peace be with you. Shalom. After he said this, he makes a similar display. His, his hands, his side, it's a little bit different. And then this last line in verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This little frame, refrain right here, this little saying of Jesus, peace be with you, shalom. This is electric. This, just, this trumps a showdown with Caesar or the Greeks because this is demonstrating in, some, in a word what God's intention was from the beginning to establish justice forever. Do you see how this is maybe a better story than you thought you knew? And maybe you knew this story all along and I'm insulting your intelligence. I apologize if that's the case. This is better than the story I thought I knew. This is electric. That is if we have the whole story. So consider the context here. Jesus' disciples are, that, that line there, with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're literally hiding in fear because the one they called Lord, their, their Messiah, their rabbi, was just hung on a Roman execution rack as an enemy of the state. So just 
put yourself in their sandals, if you will. Uh, they don't really rock shoes in uh, you know, the ancient Mediterranean. So uh, your rabbi is killed as an enemy of the state. This is where you would be. Two of the disciples in Luke, they get out of town. I mean, this is, this is not like a happy-go-lucky bunch at the moment. And I, I imagine, I mean, this is what we get to do when we come to the scriptures. Like, what would I think? What are they thinking? I imagine they're freaking out. Like, wondering, what are we going to do? Our hope was in him. We thought he would be the one. What's the, that is the context this, this place of genuine fear and uncertainty and anxiety, this is where Jesus shows up. And what does he say? Peace be with you. He speaks shalom into that place. He announces this peace. And so with all this talk of peace, I think we would do well to slow down and just consider what is this peace that Jesus is announcing in this place of fear and uncertainty and anxiety? And, uh, and, and really just wonder, like, do you think Jesus is talking about peace the way that we talk about peace? I just gave a moment to consider that, and then I thought about almost every email, my little sign-off thing, is grace and peace. Like, do people realize, like, is there, is there a mat? Like, when people read that, do they go, oh, the, the peace, the, like, the, the, the wholeness of God right there, Kyle, sending me the email. I don't, I don't think so. Um, Probably not. So my, my point is this. We may not be talking about peace the same way that Jesus is talking about peace. It may, maybe just not in full, only in part. And so what is this? What is this? What is peace in the biblical imagination? Well, peace is this. This word shalom. Go ahead and say that with me. It's kind of fun. Shalom. shalom. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, so this is this idea of, of harmony in every kind of good. Every kind of good just saturating and this peace, it's more than just the absence of conflict. It is the fullness. It is the fullness of life. It's wholeness and completeness. This is shalom. When you, when you think about shalom, there's a place in, in the scriptures that our minds are invited to go to. And it's a place where rabbinical writings, so rabbis uh, just there after Jesus' time and before him, they would think about the opening pages of the Bible. This is Genesis 1 and 2. And they would, they would think about this creation. In Genesis 1.31, you see the scene playing out where everything has kind of come into its form, just brimming with potential. Humanity is there, and the creator God speaks out over it and says, this is very good. That scene in the, in the rabbinical thought of the day then causes them to think, this is a place of shalom wholeness, completeness. This is the scene that comes into the minds of those who are saturated in the Bible. But if you've been around the church or churchianity for any amount of time, does that last very long? No, it's like two pages there. And then we see this curious invader come in. Genesis chapter three, the story starts to kind of unravel and this is what then those same uh, thinkers who talk about shalom, this idea of completeness. In Genesis 3, you see the vandalism of shalom. I, I had this idea with, that I um, proposed to Kate. She didn't poo-poo it, by the way. Um, deny it, by anyways. Um, so it was to have two terracotta pots, uh, clay pots, and to have a big drop cloth, and then for me to have a hammer. 
and me with a hammer and smashing things, excellent idea, right? Um, so we would talk about all, like, what is, what is the vandalism of shalom? And we would say, like, there's this picture of completeness and wholeness. And then on the other hand, there is the story that's in front of us. In Genesis chapter 3, you, we see this unfold like this. There's this curious invader, this serpent. And the serpent comes to Eve and... Uh, then deception takes place. And this isn't because Eve is gullible. In fact, Eve is more like a, like a title than a proper name because Eve literally means life. You'll find no other Eves or Adams in the rest of the Hebrew Bible. And there Eve is deceived. And then you, you see in the very next moment, Adam, Adam disobeys. Adam actually knew what the bounds for flourishing were in that garden of Eden, that garden of delight. And he, he takes, he receives and imparts like directly disobeys. And then what do you see right thereafter? There's this recognition of the state that they're in. There's uh, clothing themselves. There's hiding. There's blame shifting. Adam goes, uh, the, like the creator God comes to Adam and says, what, what happened? Well, this woman that you gave me. And then it comes to the woman. Well, that snake. I mean, like there's blame shifting and there's shame and there's mistrust and it grows like this cancer. And if I had some terracotta pots up here, okay, maybe I would be smashing it at each of those things with some emphasis, but we don't have like plexiglass or anything. So um, this would be like the splash zone at SeaWorld and we didn't want that to happen. But do you get the picture there? This vandalism of wholeness and completeness. And what you then see really throughout the rest of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is that same story on repeat but there's a little bit of nuance. See, God, the creator God does not abandon creation to this vandalism. In fact, the, God enters in to actually bring back flourishing to restore shalom. And often this happens with like partnering with humanity. And there's beautiful moments that you see like, oh my gosh, this could be a moment where shalom breaks out again. There's um, Deborah and the judges. What you see there's, at the end of it, it says there's 40 years of shalom but then another judge comes along and they forget the ways of the Lord. So, so what's, my, what's my point here? Where are, we, where are we going with this, talking about this? Well, um, God enters into this space to partner with humanity, but time and time again, humanity partners with the serpent. See, there's this interesting moment in Genesis chapter four. It's actually the first place that the word sin occurs. It's this, and any time that something shows up for the first time in the Bible, it's a cue for you to say, hey, allow that to be some sort of a, a, a grid for how you think about sin. And sin is described as a beast prowling around to devour you. And then the rest of the scriptures, what we see is that like the beast just is lurking and then gets its teeth into humanity and it just seems like there, there will not be justice established for forever because even the good gifts that are given to the people of God, like the law, are then weaponized as tools of oppressions to, to keep people out in a way. And so when we think about the Easter story and we think about the word that Jesus announces in that space of fear and uncertainty and anxiety, Jesus in a word is saying that wholeness and completeness is breaking out, that justice is invading this space and is now available. This was category shifting for everyone in the room and it still is today. 
Like this is the galvanizing reality. When the church is at her best, we are a people of justice. We stand with those who are on the margins. And we don't just like have some sort of paternalistic solidarity. No, we move those, we, with all of our power, we release ourselves from the power and we leverage it so that they, whomever they may be, will be lifted up. That is the gift that the church has to give to the world. It's hopefully something that gets into like the marrow of our bones, like the fiber of this community. We give ourselves away for the good of this community here in Des Moines. But that's not fully realized, is it? Like when you read through or scrolled through your newsfeed this morning, did you just feel this like wash, a wash in peace? <laughs> no, like we just have to submit. This is not like conspiracy theory, but if you've watched The Social Dilemma, you know that these apps that are sure convenient and they help us keep informed of what our family members are doing in the far off country, but um, they're like monetizing your attention. There's, a, there's an agenda behind that place. They actually don't sell well when you are at peace. <laughs> so when Jesus shows up in that space and he announces that peace is there, he's saying that very day, wholeness is breaking out. And what's, what's intense is that we feel this. Like, I, I don't think I have to sit up here and sermonize anxiety for us to realize this. The Surgeon General, you don't have to be a Christian to talk about this stuff. Uh, Vivek Marthi just released this public health warning, like a public health crisis among Gen Z. That if like one in four are going to experience anxiety or depression based on the current data, and they're, they're saying it's trending to be more intense. So what do we do with that? Because that's not like outside the church, that's here in our community. This is something that's like, our reality. So we need something to attend to this. And I don't think it's going to be more pharmaceuticals. Like there has to be something where we can actually be transformed. And I'm not like, if those are gifts, like therapy is a gift. Having some sort of like medicine that you can take that helps regulate your chemicals in your body so that you can come to a place of peace. Yes and amen. It's a both and, not an either or, but we need something more. And I think it's what Jesus is talking about here. We need this wholeness and this completeness. Like we need to hear that the Salom of Jesus is not void of conflict. See, the peace of Jesus came through conflict. It came through a cross. When the New Testament is reflecting on how the peace of God comes, listen to how this is spoken. This is Paul speaking to a, a church community. It says, for God was pleased to have the full, his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile, to bring back together into completeness and wholeness all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace, shalom through his blood shed on the cross. Like the peace of God is not void of conflict, which means that we can actually have peace amidst our conflict. So when you think about going back to your family or your family coming to you and you feel this tension in your chest, you feel you get a little sweaty in the pits, that's like your body telling you there is an imminent threat and its um, name is grandma. Like uh, this, and what this means is we actually have a way to combat this. See, the brilliance of Jesus' words is not just that they were spoken. That in and of itself is amazing. It, but where they were spoken, that just makes this thing glimmer. 
That's what makes this thing, this thing, um, the peace of Jesus so brilliant. Because there, when Jesus' followers are trapped, like encased in fear and uncertainty and anxiety, he speaks a new word, a different word, which is actually an old word. Because it is the thing that God wants to establish for forever. Which is his peace, his justice. And those go hand in hand, part and parcel. And do you, do you remember what the disciples did after Jesus speaks that word? They see the wounds, they touch them. Do you, do you remember what they did in John, at the end of John 2020? This is like, oh no, now there's real anxiety because it's like a pop quiz. Okay, they were overjoyed. The response that they have to Jesus speaking peace into their, this like state of fear is joy. Now here the opening line to our teaching text again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Just pause right there. You see, the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Philippians, um, he cannot get away from joy. It's like, it's this thing that continues to plague him in a good way. This relational experience of gladness continues to, to meet him. And, he, and, and Paul wants this to then be available to the community that he's speaking to. The curious thing is that Paul is writing while he's in prison. And this is a Roman prison. This is not like glamping or anything like that. No, this is, he'll, he'll say, while in chains. But it's there when his friend Epaphroditus comes to give him a gift from this community, the Philippian church, that he's comforted, that there's gladness and rejoicing taking place there, this relational experience of gladness, joy is what he's experiencing because of them. And so he then turns back to them and says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice you just might go, well, that sounds nice. I could go for that. But how, like how? Well, go, go with me to verse five. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And there's a, a little thing happening right before verse four where he's appealing to these two women who are co-workers in the gospel, Yodia and, and uh, Synecdoche, Synecdoche? I don't know how to say their names, sorry. Um, but there's this conflict, this interpersonal conflict. So verse five is it like, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then this statement, the Lord is near. And there's not the word therefore there, but the Lord is near is informing what's in verse six. So that because the Lord is present to you, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then there, here it is, verse seven, and the peace of God, the shalom of God, wholeness and completeness, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the promise that accompanies the, the praise and the prayers of the people of God is the peace of God. I like when writing that, there was this moment where I couldn't resist the alliteration. And I know for some, like you've grown up in contexts where alliterations um, feel like, I don't know, sand and a wound, but just roll with me through this. The promise that accompanies the praise and prayers of the people of God is the peace of God. In other words, the promise is the peace. So as we step into this season, the promise that is awaiting us in Jesus is peace. Um, the question is how, like how do we peace? How do, how do we enter into that? 
We'll, we'll do that in a moment here together. We're actually going to practice peace. Um, but I, I don't want us to myth, miss what's happening here. Um, what will God's peace accomplish? We actually see it in verse 7. Um, it's with this line that, that God's peace will guard your hearts and minds. It's a picture of your whole person. God's peace will, will guard you. Who, who needs a guard? Did you ever think about this? I'm not talking about like a bodyguard of a celebrity or something. Maybe that, but like who, th- this is my response to who needs a guard. I'm, I'm thinking someone who's vulnerable probably needs a guard. Potentially um, like a victim. For whatever reason, it was this like a scene of um, reporters, like a, um, like a throng of reporters like pressing in on somebody who's trying to get in. They're giving some sort of testimony to, um, I don't know, take down some evil person. I don't know, but I'm just picturing this, this scene. And so you have these, these um, large people who are pushing everyone back, these forces that are trying to move in on this vulnerable person. And, and at a very simple level, like the weary ones, the anxious ones need a guard. And if in the, in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of you feel like this, this real threat that's happening in your life, my guess is that you want to guard in that. See, Advent holds out the promise of peace, which says that there is actually a, something to be had for you in this. There's a, a real comfort to be had there. But even as I'm speaking this, I'm like, this sounds so trite, so we need to practice this. Because my guess is, is that you have a hard time willing yourself into peace. Uh, I was telling Josh uh, just before this that, you know, it's that question, how are you doing? And at church, you generally just say good. I've been trying not to lie to you as much. Um, this is probably good for a pastor not to do. Uh, but just to be honest, like this week was a struggle with our three-year-old who is like coming into his identity, which is defined against me and mom. And, um, and then he's also transitioning with his brother who can reach all of his toys. And he just will come over and he will um, unprovoked push down the smaller human, uh, Silas, and the stuff that rises up in my heart, I'm like, this has to be demonic or something. Because I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, you're gonna push him down, buddy? I will push, and I'm like, he's three. Like, I can't, I can't just will myself to peace in that moment. I have to learn how to practice this. And so I, because I need a guard of peace in that moment. And who, Griffin needs the guard in that moment from me. And so we're going to do something that will probably feel uncomfortable for you, and I love it. It's going to be so good. Uh, don't worry, this week I'm not going to ask people to come forward. And this is, I think, going to be more accessible. You see, we're going to activate our parasympathetic nerve system. How's that sound? I, you can Google it. This is the part of your brain that is accountable for digestion which is interesting, uh, that's just a, a benefit, but it, it is a place where you actually learn to come to rest. And so what we're going to do is we're gonna do this thing, and you don't have to do it, this is all invitation. Like if, if everyone's doing it, it's more likely that you will, so please, please, people, do the thing. Um, you're like, well, tell us what it is. If you're online, you can practice this too. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn our head this will be your left, this is my right, and we're going to all demonstrate it, and then we'll do it. And there's going to be some words that come up to accompany us. So we're going to yawn, which you've been doing this whole time, yawn. And that, what that does, the yawn activates your parasympathetic nerve system. As we're coming back, 
we're taking and we will say this. So we'll inhale, yawn, and come back. And we say, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. We'll turn to the left. And what happens if you like wiggle your jaw, you can actually get a real yawn. It's quite lovely. So let's just, let's just do this. We're going to go back and forth. You can just follow me. And you can do it if you want to. Don't do it if you want. I'm going to close my eyes. So and I inv- you can do the same. When I am afraid, and say it aloud if you want, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. To the right or to your left. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. A couple more times. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. Last one. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. Let's just read that all one more time aloud together. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, O Lord. See, those words from Psalm 56 they become the, the scaffolding upon which we stand to enter into the peace of God. So we actually, it's not like we're these passive recipients of peace. We're, we're participants in peace. With the Spirit, we get to join God in his peace. So the peace has already been announced. This is my point. It is, it is available to you. I'm, it's available This isn't something you have to drum up or be right or do these things. Jesus has just announced it as the reality within which we can step into. The peace is there. So if you think about our passage again, this then saying, do not be anxious about anything. Maybe you heard that the first time and you're like, okay, yeah, whatever. So now in the midst of those moments where you feel like you cannot control the outcome, which is where most of my anxiety comes from, I can pause and I can just... Maybe I need to go to like a bathroom stall or something, get away from the moment that's causing me anxiety, but I can actually speak peace into that. And it's not my peace. I'm receiving. I'm actually receiving the peace of the living God. See, this is what we get to enter into in this season. We actually get to, to practice the peace of the living God. 